What exactly is Rosh Hashanah and also how is the shofar related? Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year and this day of the blowing of the shofar, as we understand a little bit about it, can maybe help us understand the times and seasons we're living in today. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile believer who both believe in Jesus, believe that God is doing something important among the Jewish people around the world. We're here to talk to you about matters affecting you in the Christian world. So today we're specifically going to talk about the fall feasts, beginning with Rosh Hashanah, which you may or may not have heard of. Most likely Ezra will use some type of pun like shofar, so good. You'll understand what that means now. Well, now you just took it from me, Carly. I can't use it. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. So let's discuss. So this is a uh, kind of a three-part series on the fall feast. So we're going to get into all three of them. But this one specifically is about Rosh Hashanah. But before we get started, most of our audience, who are primarily Christians, right. don't even know what the fall feasts are. Seems kind of like a Jewish thing. So before we start... Can you just kind of give them a reason not to turn the podcast off right now? Yeah, well, I'll try. I'll be as convincing as I can. You're right, Carly. Fall feasts, right off the bat, most, many, if not most of our listeners are going, wait a minute, are you talking about like Thanksgiving? That's a feast. Right. Are we talking about Halloween, the Feast of Candy? Like what are we, what fall <laughs> feasts? And really the Jewish holidays are grouped into two or three different kind of uh, chunks of holidays, if you will. There's the spring feasts that happen, you know, depending on how the Jewish calendar, how the Hebrew calendar, biblical calendar aligns with the Gregorian calendar between end of March and uh, end of June every year. And those are uh, Passover and then also Shavuot, which in the Christian world we understand to be Pentecost because Shavuot became Pentecost. More about that in another podcast episode. But those are really the spring feasts. And then there's this group of feasts called the the fall feasts. And so these are the holidays on the Jewish calendar, which fall anywhere between um, early September and the end of October, depending on the year. And these are uh, three, which make up our three-part series. The first one is called Rosh Hashanah, or also called the Jewish New Year. And we're going to unpack that because it's really not the New Year. So stay tuned if you want to hear why it is and it isn't. That's why you shouldn't turn off this podcast. Uh, and then the second holiday in the fall feast is called uh, Yom Kippur, which means the Day of Atonement uh, in Hebrew, Yom HaKippurim, or the Day of Coverings. And then the third holiday is a week-long celebration, eight days actually, called Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And then the kind of outlier holidays, just for the sake of being comprehensive with our listeners, that aren't either spring feasts or fall feasts, are Hanukkah. A festival of lights. Think of the Adam Sandler song if you know it. Yes, Hanukkah. That goes for eight days, anywhere between uh, end of November and uh, as late sometimes as January 1. And then uh, the other holiday is kind of the pre-spring feast. A month before Passover is a holiday called Purim. And that's really the story of Esther and Mordecai. Uh, which became a holiday because it celebrates a great deliverance of the Jewish people. And uh, that's kind of one of the biggest party days of the year. So the fall feasts, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot are what we're going to talk about today. And these fall into, you know, all the holidays that I mentioned, or most, I should say, are the holidays I just mentioned, Carly, fall into this thing called in Hebrew, Moedim. Uh, it's kind of a funny word, but a Moed in Hebrew uh, is an appointed time. And that's different than just saying time. A time is zaman, you know, in Hebrew. For some people, you know, the expression for such a time as this kind of uh, from the story of Purim. 
and you say le zaman hazeh in Hebrew for such a time as this. But zaman is just generic time. Moed is what's what we can call an appointed time, like a predetermined special time, not just another day on the calendar, but a special time on God's timeline. So the fall feasts we're talking about today are moedim. They're appointed times. Some people say kind of appointments on God's calendar, appointments in God's day planner that he has with the Jewish people. Uh, and we'll share some scriptures about how that should continue today, according to the biblical commandments. But also an invitation for everyone who believes that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, is the God of all flesh. And I know Christians believe that. We we draw close to him through that relationship with Jesus. Um but we acknowledge that he still has this relationship with Israel and that we can understand more about him by understanding his commandments for Israel. Not that those become commandments for non-Jewish people, but we can understand who God is and what's important to his heart. So we're going to unpack these Moedim of Rosh Hashanah, uh, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot in this three-part series. So let's start with Rosh Hashanah. So sure. what what exactly is Rosh Hashanah? And also in your explanation, how is the shofar related? And what is a shofar for those who don't even know what that is? Yeah, all good questions. Um, so Rosh Hashanah literally means Rosh in Hebrew is head and Shana is year. So Rosh Hashanah or Rosh Hashanah in my good New York accent where I grew up mm-hmm. is the head of the year. Now, uh, also, you may have heard it called the Jewish New Year. And actually, if you go to Target or Walmart, we won't say which one we prefer. I like the one with the bullseye anyway. But if you go to Target or Walmart and you shop for uh, holiday cards to give your Jewish friends or family members around this time of year, you're going to see a bunch of cards that say Happy New Year. Or uh, in Hebrew, sometimes it's written out Shana Tova for a good year. And if you go to a Jewish congregation, a Messianic Jewish congregation, people are going to say Happy New Year, Shana Tova, have a good year. Like it's the head of the year. Why do we say that? Because on the Hebrew calendar, uh, there's really two ways to count the year. So for those who have studied the Old Testament a bunch, and I know some of our listeners have, you'll remember that when God's calling Moses to kind of be the hands and feet of his deliverance of the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt, he says, this will be the first month of the year for you. Nisan, which is uh, March or April timeframe, he says, this will be your beginning of months. And so on the Hebrew calendar, the first month is really Nisan. It's in the spring. And then the seventh month, according to the prescriptions in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the seventh month, which happens around September or October, are when we to celebrate when we're to celebrate the fall feasts like Rosh Hashanah. And yet we call it the head of the year. Why? Because actually, in the way that the years that kings reigns were calculated in the Bible, you know, it says like you can think, and it was the first year of Hezekiah, or you know, and King Solomon reigned X number of years in Jerusalem. It's counting according to a year which starts in the seventh month on the Hebrew calendar, which starts uh, at Rosh Hashanah. So the head of the year is the head of the year as kings reign, uh, as as the reign of kings was considered. And so that's really, and it's just grown more and more in traditional Jewish thought. That's why we call it the head of the year or the Jewish new year. So is it the new year in fact? Uh, Yes and no, but let's go with the tradition and let's go with the biblical significance and let's call it uh, the new year. So in Hebrew though, you don't see the phrase Rosh Hashanah uh, referred to as such. It doesn't say it in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. What does it say? It calls Rosh Hashanah, this this head of the year in September, October time, it calls it Yom Teruah. And Teruah means of the blowing, like the sounding of uh, a wind instrument. 
Um, and so it's the day of the blowing of a trumpet, but not just any trumpet, a shofar. And a shofar, shofar so good. There, I got it in. Uh, I stole your joke, Carly. That is actually, uh, if you've seen pictures of this, and if you haven't, Google shofar, it's actually a hollowed out ram or ibex horn that if you cut the end of it off and really clean it out well and you know how to play, you know, blow through the the narrower end of this thing like you blow a trumpet, it produces this loud, loud kind of uh, deep or if you blow it at a different tone, really kind of high-pitched alarming sound. So Rosh Hashanah in Hebrew is called Yom Teruah or the day of the blowing of shofars and uh, the Jewish people from Bible times through present are actually commanded on this day on the Jewish calendar to gather together and for someone or even each head of household in his own family, but at least someone in every congregation of Jewish people to sound this shofar. And so we listen to the sound of the shofar and more on this in a few minutes. But the idea is wake up. This is a special time on God's calendar. Like things are not business as usual. Hear this sound, be called to attention, maybe be a little bit alarmed, but be aware the seasons have changed. And I'm thinking, you know, just with everything right now that's happening in our world, Carly, with pandemics and protests around the world and governments and turmoil and some of the countries that, you know, we partner with uh, ministries like Jewish Voice and working in, you know, there's tremendous ethnic violence and upheaval and economies are crashing. Uh, travel is restricted. And we have this feeling like, wow, this isn't business as usual. And so all the more reason for those who are listening today, I think Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year and this day of the blowing of the shofar, as we understand a little bit about it, can maybe help us understand the times and seasons we're living in today. So kind of back to the shofar just for a second. You know, yeah. I've heard you have to blow it a a lot of times, 30, 100, like what's the actual number or is there a requirement? There isn't. It just says it's a day for sounding the shofar. So I guess theoretically, if you do it once, you're good. But uh, it's an it's an interesting point. And, you know, in Judaism, like in many religious systems, you have uh, what the founding documents say, in our case, the Bible, right? The Old Testament of the Torah, really the first five books of the Bible are the biblical foundations for the Jewish faith upon which the prophets built and upon which the New Testament believers who were almost all Jewish in the first few decades understood their relationship with God through Jesus, through Yeshua. But on top of that, then you have this rabbinical Jewish system, which has said, we care so fervently about not breaking God's commandments that out of love for him and really fear of the Lord, we're going to add additional commandments to those 613 commandments in the first five books of the Bible to make sure that we never even get close to breaking the commandment and to enrich our own lives as Jews. So uh, out of that comes things like blow the shofar 30 times, blow the shofar 100 times. The more you hear the shofar, the more enriching and experience you're going to have, the closer to God you can be. Do we believe that? You know, it's not biblical. It's not a biblical prescription or commandment, but hearing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah at this season of the year and actually during this 10-day period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is a biblical commandment. So how many times? The scriptures aren't clear. Uh, but certainly I would say, you know, other than feeling like your ears are ringing and being annoyed at the sound by the end of the day, you can't have too much. So I just have to ask, do you have a shofar? Can you blow it? And then is it like, a thing that a certain person in the household does? Do I have a shofar? Yes. Does it possibly have dust on it? Yes. Can I blow it? 
I can blow the shofar like a fourth grader can blow <laughs> his trumpet in general music class. Uh, so yes, if somebody said Ezra blow the shofar, you'd hear the noise, but it would not be a joyful noise unto the Lord. It would certainly <laughs> be alarming. It would yeah. certainly be alarming. I'll say that. So uh, practice makes perfect, and I have more practice to go, I guess. But I guess, yeah, theoretically, anybody really, you know, in, in Jewish thought, Carly, there's this idea of the age of accountability. I think all a lot of cultures have that, and it's maybe yeah. a different age depending on the culture. But in Jewish thought, once uh, uh, a boy or a girl, especially uh, boys in more, you know, uh, observant or orthodox circles, once that boy, so quote unquote, becomes a man and has his bar mitzvah and is about 12 or 13 years old, he's that age of accountability. So he can start to take some spiritual leadership in his own home. So I would say, uh, are kids, are kids allowed and encouraged even to practice blowing the shofar? Sure. You know, so everybody can get involved, but is it really the role of the spiritual head of household, which is typically, uh, the man, the husband, the father in the, in the household? I, I would say, yeah. Uh, okay. but is that, specifically commanded in scripture? No, it's not. Okay. So is Rosh Hashanah found in only the Old Testament? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you know, we know that, for example, Leviticus verses 23 through 25, if you're listening at home, you want to look it up, says the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, and here's like the specific commandment to keep the day of, of the sounding of the shofar or Rosh Hashanah. On the first day of the seventh month, which we talked about is in September, October time, you are to have a day of Shabbat, a day of rest, and a sacred assembly commanded with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. So there we have take rest, like gather together a sacred assembly. It means get together and acknowledge the Lord, if we can boil that down. Uh, seek him and hear the trumpet blast. So we see that in the Old Testament. But do the Jewish holidays disappear in the New Testament? And my answer is an emphatic no. Are they always referred to by their name from the Old Testament? No, but we see references to them. And really, I think, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more later because this isn't just, um, you know, the, the purpose of this podcast, Carly, is not just so Christians can kind of understand the Jewish roots of their faith and have a more personally enriching experience. That's all good. But our purpose is, one, engaging Christians with Jewish people and what God has to say to the world through Jewish people, what he has to say to the world, Jew and Gentile alike. But also, I think, you know, I we can all kind of look at the headlines in the news and look around us, and maybe every generation has felt this way, but... I certainly feel this more and more that we're certainly getting closer to what we understand to be the last days and this time when it's going to get really hard, the scriptures are very clear, really hard for Jewish people and really hard for anybody like Christians who call on the name of God in spirit and in truth. And at one point, uh, the leaders of the world actually would prefer that we not exist on the face of the earth. And that's clear in the scriptures. So understanding uh, holidays, appointed times, the ways that God interacts with people as we understand the ways that he relates to the Jewish people, to Israel, helps us understand what he's doing and what he's going to do so that we won't be surprised or much less offended when it actually happens. So uh, one reference that to me just speaks very clearly of this idea of, of the sounding of trumpets is actually in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul speaking to the Corinthian believers, mostly Gentile, uh, mostly not Jewish. In, in chapter 15, verse 51, it says, listen, Paul says to the, to the Gentile believers, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, 
but we will all be changed. So he's looking, I really think, at the resurrection of the dead, right, and the return of Jesus in the future. He's saying we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. And the idea here isn't this brass instrument like Louis Armstrong plays. The idea in, in um, before there were such kinds of instruments was a trumpet like a ram's horn. These were trumpets. So you could translate this at the last shofar, and it says, for the trumpet, the shofar will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So just like the sounding of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah uh, correlates to this idea of a wake-up call, that God is the righteous judge over all the earth. We'll talk more about that before we finish here today. Uh, Paul alludes to this, this day in the future when a much larger and easier to hear, like worldwide heard, however that's going to work, shofar will sound, and it's the day of the Lord. It's the resurrection of the dead, and Jesus, the lion, you know, the lamb of God slain from the foundations of the world, comes back as the lion to do justice and crush the enemies under his feet. So, Rosh Hashanah represents a change of the seasons from kind of normal time to this period of self-examination and judgment. And I think Paul understood that Rosh Hashanah points to, uh, just like all the fall feasts, we'll talk about that during this three-part series, the Jewish feasts in the fall point to the return of the Messiah, to the days of the Messiah, to the days of Jesus ruling and reigning on earth, and this idea that the times change and there's this period of righteous judgment happening. So uh, that's one example, Carly, in 1 Corinthians 15. But there's several, not just for Rosh Hashanah, but for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and also for Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, we actually see Sukkot even in the Gospels. So we'll unpack that two podcasts from now. So, you know, you mentioned New Year's is the holiday that a Christian could kind of relate to this, but you're right. saying, no, it's not exactly like that. Um what are the, the 30 days of repentance and the 10 days of awe? And what do those have to do with Rosh Hashanah? Yeah, now you're getting deep. Now you're getting deep, Carly. Okay, we're taking it to the next level. So the 30 days of repentance actually refers to the month on the Jewish calendar before the seventh month, before the month that uh, kicks off with Rosh Hashanah every September. So usually like early, mid-August, this 30 days of repentance starts. And the idea is... Um, and maybe correlating this a bit to New Year's, like on our calendar, right? December 31, January 1, maybe a couple days before you go to the New Year's party and uh, do what you're going to do there, you start thinking, right? Like, hmm, what New Year's resolution would I kind of want to make? And mm -hmm. some of us kind of crash into the New Year and sleep in on January 1 for several reasons. And then we wake up on January 1 and we say, oh, it's a new year. What resolution should I make? But in Jewish thought, it's not that way. Uh, you can crash into Rosh Hashanah, like you can do that and hear the trumpet and go, oh, what, you know, who do I need to get right with? Who have I offended at? Who have I offended that I need to kind of work out during this season? But in Jewish thought, the idea is you don't crash into a season of repentance, you prepare for it. And you don't crash into a season of judgment and self-examination. You get your heart ready and you kind of take inventory of your life and your relationships and your relationship with God before Rosh Hashanah happens, before you hear that shofar. And so the 30 days of repentance that you might hear uh, more observant Jewish people talk about, uh, and secular Jews may not even know about this or really observe it, but the idea is 30 days before Rosh Hashanah. You spend a month kind of taking inventory of your heart and your life so that when you hear that trumpet on Rosh Hashanah, you're not starting to think about what should change. You're making the change. 
And uh, the 10 days of awe, to answer your second question, refers to this period on the Jewish calendar, which begins with Rosh Hashanah on the first day of the seventh month and ends with Yom Kippur. And it's a really interesting idea. You know, we, we see in the scriptures, in the Torah, in the prophets, and actually even in Revelation, right, this phrase about the books of life, right, the Lamb's book of life or this book of life in heaven and those whose names are inscribed in the book of life versus the book of death and judgment. And that's not a new idea that John had on Patmos when he wrote Revelation or that the, uh, the first believers in the first century uh, came up with. The book of life goes back to the Torah. And it's this idea that God, the righteous judge, has names of people like your and my name are in one of two books. It's this book of life, which means eternally existing with him through righteousness. And we know not through righteous deeds of our own, but through the blood of the Messiah. That's what uh, my Jewish people need to, you know, we need the blinders off our eyes so we can understand. But that idea comes from Jewish thought as well. There's this book of life those who are considered righteous in the eyes of God. And then there's the other book, the book of death, meaning if you have, have not done and not believed what is necessary to be righteous in his eyes, you don't have any excuse before him, the righteous judge who's given us every opportunity to respond to mercy and truth. And so the idea of the books uh, in Jewish thought on Rosh Hashanah, the books are open in heaven. So it's this connection between heaven and earth during this 10-day period. And the awe means, why is it called the days of awe? It means the awe of the holiness of God. So this is really the holiest period on the Jewish calendar, is these 10 days. We say Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. And we'll talk more about that next podcast. But this 10 days of awe is the holiest period on the Jewish calendar because you're really considering the holiness and the righteous judgment of God in heaven who has your name and my name and each of our names written in one of two books. And so you spend this 10 days in Jewish thought considering what does it take for my name to be written in the book of life versus the book of judgment and death. And where you come down on that issue depends upon what you believe. And uh, that's why we have such a burden for seeing uh, Jewish people around the world in Israel, in the States, you know, so many of my family I'm thinking of personally, you don't know which book your name's written in. And rabbinic thought says, well, the temple doesn't exist anymore, so we can't offer sacrifices. So I guess the best we can do is good works called mitzvot in Hebrew and repentance and prayer. Like this is the formula. Do as much good as you can, repent for what you can, pray a whole lot, and maybe, maybe, maybe your name will be written in that book of life. But if you really press a Jewish person at the end of Yom Kippur, do you know that your name's written in the book of life? Most, if they're really honest with you, would, would have a concerned look on their face and say, you know, I, who can be sure? And that's why our faith in Jesus and this promised Messiah is so important because we understand that he created, he's the mediator of a new covenant, like Jeremiah 31 says, not written on tablets of stone for laws which can be broken because of our sinfulness, but written on the tablets of our heart. And there's grace in the Holy Spirit to keep these commandments and that our name, because of the blood of Yeshua, of Jesus, can be written and in fact is written in the book of life. So there's a long answer to your short question about the 10 days of awe. Very holy period on the Jewish calendar. Sounds much deeper and more holy than the way we celebrate New Year's. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> so, um, you know, my next question is really, as a Christian, do I need to celebrate? But before we answer that, we want to share about how you can get involved with us. 
uh, and the opportunity we have to do that. So can you tell our audience a little bit about how they can get involved? Yeah, you know, Carly, as we were just talking about, one of the one of the passions and the burdens of our podcast and in ministries we partner with, like Jewish Voice Ministries International and so many dozen others in Israel and around the world, is seeing Jewish people come to faith in Jesus and serving them and even meeting their practical needs for those who are suffering, isolated, persecuted, like those in Ethiopia and Zimbabwe and beyond, meeting practical needs in a way that opens the door to share our real hope in Jesus and the Messiah. And uh, as you're listening today, if if you kind of feel a, your heartstrings being tugged to that end and you want to get more involved in being a part of Jewish people around the world, not having to wonder during times like the days of awe, is their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but actually knowing through faith in Jesus that that's the case, that that's a certainty in heaven, uh, partner with us. Uh, we want to send you a thank you gift in exchange for your monthly partnership. And it's delicious, precious, precious coffee, which I'm chugging right now as i always do carly when we uh when we record these podcasts some of the best coffee in the world we tasted it personally we know this to be true from ethiopia one of the places that's near and dear to our hearts with the jewish community we've been serving for over 20 years so uh get involved more information at a jew and a gentile discuss.org that's a jew and a gentile discuss.org find out about how you can partner with us find out about the people the communities you'll be serving uh, and needs you'll be meeting in the name of Jesus, in the name of Yeshua, and also find out about the delicious coffee you can get. You can actually choose how frequently you receive that coffee. More details on the website, a Jew and a Gentile org. Okay, so Rosh Hashanah this year falls on September 18th. So as a Christian, now that I understand what it is based on what you just explained, right. do I need to celebrate it? Yeah, it's a great question. And we can maybe like, let's zoom out on that question and say, do Christians need, and I'll translate that to, are Christians required biblically, okay, to kind of expand the question, to celebrate the Jewish holidays? No. Let me say very clearly, like, you know, sometimes, frankly, people's concern with podcasts like ours or with things called Messianic Jewish are Christians feel like, wait a minute, are you trying to convince me, one, to become Jewish or to do Jewish things and live a Jewish lifestyle? Or are you trying to teach me subtly that somehow I have more righteousness to be gained through uh, keeping Torah or keeping the Jewish commandments, keeping the Old Testament commandments? The answer is an emphatic no. You can't earn anything. And this is actually true for Jews and Gentiles alike. Like nobody can earn anything before God in keeping the holidays, keeping the commandments, doing Jewish things, abstaining from food that the Bible says is unclean for the Jewish people. You can't earn anything. Um, but is there a calling on Jewish people to live in a certain way, to demonstrate the holiness and the mercy of God to a world in need? There is. And part of that for Jewish people, including believers in Jesus, because God says these commands are an everlasting ordinance from generation to generation. And to me, everlasting is everlasting. And the word forever is forever as I read the scriptures. So for Jewish people, we're commanded, even as believers in Jesus, we're commanded every year to remember to practice these holidays because it earns us something before God. No, but because it gets our hearts right and aligns us with his timing and what's important to his heart and what he's doing in the world. And also because it demonstrates something to the world that God in heaven does exist. He's very much alive. He's not dead and he's living and active for judgment, but also for mercy. 
and he desires mercy, not judgment. So for Jewish people, there is this commandment, and I believe it's an enduring commandment to celebrate. And certainly for Christians, as Christians have been grafted into this olive tree, we know uh, Romans talks about this idea, right? Grafted in to this natural olive tree, partakers of the blessings of Abraham and uh, standing in unity with the Jewish people, especially uh, with Jewish believers in Jesus, there's an invitation. Let me say that. That's the key word. Like double underline that in your minds. There is an invitation to participate with God's appointed times, just like Rosh Hashanah, and to be blessed. Be blessed, be enriched by the experience, understand something new about the Lord, understand something about the end times that are coming, and that God is a righteous judge who will trample his enemies under his feet. You can dig into that in a deeper way during Rosh Hashanah. But is it a commandment? No. And if anybody tells you it is for Christians, I'm sorry to say I believe they're they're biblically misinformed, but certainly an invitation. So, Carly, I hope that answers the question. You know, many believers look to kind of Jesus as the example of what we should or shouldn't follow. Do we know if Jesus celebrated Rosh Hashanah? Jesus was a rabbi, right? We know that. We know his disciples called him teacher. Some called him Rabboni, which is this very intimate term for my teacher, my rabbi. It's almost like saying my mentor and spiritual leader. Jesus was a rabbi. And because he fulfilled all righteousness, you know, like we can think of him walking into the Jordan River and John's saying, wait a minute, you want to be baptized? I should, you know, you should be baptizing me. I'm not worthy to touch the straps on your sandals. And Jesus says, no, no, but that all righteousness, all obedience might be fulfilled. So Jesus, as one who kept the Torah, and in fact, as the only one who ever existed, the only man who ever fulfilled the commandments of God, we know that necessarily necessarily because Rosh Hashanah is a commanded feast and observance for the people of Israel. Yes, we know that Jesus uh, would have celebrated Rosh Hashanah. And we see other references, you know, um, we know that he celebrated Hanukkah. It says now it was the feast of dedication and it was winter and Jesus was in the temple teaching. And he says, I am the light of the world. And during Sukkot, after the end of this dry season, we know he says, uh, and we'll talk more about this. Anyone who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. So Yeshua fulfills these holidays. Do we see him specifically speaking to Rosh Hashanah on Rosh Hashanah? No, we don't see that in the Gospels. But we do see Paul and the other believers referencing a day when Yeshua would return to earth and actually fulfill this idea of Rosh Hashanah from the Torah. And I think really my opinion is, and I can give you some scriptures to back this up, but look for yourselves um, that the spring Jewish feasts, Carly, actually foreshadowed the first coming of Jesus, like Passover, the Passover lamb. Jesus died for our sins as a lamb without blemish led to the slaughter. And I believe the fall feasts foreshadow his coming again to rule and reign in righteousness as the holy king judging the earth righteously. Got it. So if I did want to celebrate, how should I celebrate or yeah. how does a Jewish person celebrate? You know, pretty much my very small understanding of Rosh Hashanah, all I know about is apples and honey. Right, which are delicious and central. It's like a pre-diabetic uh, carnival on Rosh Hashanah. We all eat tons of apples and honey, which is a whole other story. But why? Primarily because we say um, to a sweet new year. That's the expression in Hebrew, you say to a good and a sweet new year. And so to remember, or actually almost like as a demonstration of the sweetness of the year, you eat apples and honey. And that's uh, one of my favorite 
Rosh Hashanah traditions. Not the only one, but one of my favorite. But beyond cutting up produce and dousing it with glucose or whatever's in honey, what else can you do? I would say um, if you have Jewish friends and family members, have a meal with them. And if they're not, which is unlikely, but if they're not doing anything, invite them over to your house. Have a big meal. Celebrate the sweetness of the new year. And, you know, I think especially, you know, years like this, It's you were saying September 18th, and uh, we're recording this in 2020, uh, will be Rosh Hashanah. It's a year when we would love to trust God for a sweet new year because the year up to this point has maybe not been so sweet. Uh, in some cases, we've experienced the bitterness of pandemic and division and so many other things. So acknowledging the holiday, wishing your friends and family, if they have a Jewish background or they're actively Jewish, a blessed and a sweet new year, giving a card. Uh, if there's a, a temple that you want to visit, especially a messianic synagogue in your area, but if there's not, uh, and you have a Jewish friend who you know goes to a synagogue or a congregation, go with them. It's very crowded usually on these Jewish holidays. Uh, some synagogues actually sell tickets to get in, which is a whole other story because it's like at capacity. How that's going to work out with face masks in the new normal of our world remains to be seen. But uh, or people are going to live stream uh, Rosh Hashanah services to be determined. But uh, try to get into a synagogue, experience the prayer, experience the music. Uh, and definitely, if you can, even if it means you got to get one and do it yourself, listen to the shofar. Maybe you Google it and uh, play a YouTube clip of a shofar, but I'd encourage you just kind of quiet your heart before the Lord, listen to the sound of the shofar and be reminded that God is not a God of business as usual. He changes times and seasons in his holiness and calls us to repentance. So bottom line, Rosh Hashanah for us, what should I or our audience, our Christian audience take away from this holiday? Yeah, I think that God is... You know, righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. We know from the Old Testament, it says. And this is the holiday when we remember that. You know, in Passover time, in Easter time, we remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So there's this idea of mercy and grace being poured out and hope and joy. But engaging with the fall feast of Rosh Hashanah reminds us that he's a God not only of love and peace and grace, but he is the lion of the tribe of Judah for Jew and Gentile believer alike and that he is coming again. I think, if nothing else, the holiness of God, that he is righteous and justified in his judgment, that repentance is a necessary part of our life cycle, and that Jesus is coming again to rule and reign. That's the reminder. Wake up, hear the sound of the shofar, because there is a great shofar that's going to be sounded soon. And as you mentioned, an awakening is clearly something that our world needs right now in 2020. Yeah, amen, amen. Well, thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned to hear us answer a question from our listening audience. But before we do that, I just want to remind you, as Ezra mentioned earlier, you can go to our website, ajewandagentiledisgust.org, if you're interested in receiving the coffee that Ezra talked about in exchange for supporting this podcast and the ministry that we're doing around the world to Jewish people. So uh, the question that we received is, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit with apples and honey, but what is your favorite Rosh Hashanah tradition? And since I don't often celebrate Rosh Hashanah, I think you would be the right person to answer this question. Yeah. You know, besides the apples and honey, which are delicious, and I eat them until I feel nothing from the sugar coursing through my bloodstream. But besides that, I think really the togetherness, actually. Rosh Hashanah is this time. It's I don't know what to compare it to really on the Christian calendar, but if you're going to have a meal besides the Passover Seder during uh, Passover in the spring, if you're going to have a meal 
in a Jewish family and get together around a table and just be with one another, it's this night. It's the eve of Rosh Hashanah or Rosh Hashanah daytime. Um, and I love it, especially the time of the year when it happens, early autumn. You know, for Carly, we're in Phoenix recording this. So that means like the time of the year when maybe you can start to think about going outside again. But uh, in other parts of the country and the world, the leaves are turning, it's getting cooler. And just uh, really this idea at this change of seasons in the kind of worldwide, you know, environmental calendar. It's a change of season in our hearts and being together. I love being together with friends and family. And it's just such a rich tradition that uh, I think in American culture we miss so often. Would you say it's kind of like Thanksgiving in that way? Yeah, very similar. And of course, Jewish people celebrate Thanksgiving as well. We don't really do Christmas. Listen to our, our podcast on Christmas and Hanukkah to hear more about that. But uh, yeah, it's very similar to that. Big meal, Thanksgiving, just taking time to be together as a family. It's super cool. Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed learning about Rosh Hashanah. And if you want to learn about the other fall feasts, listen to our next two episodes on the podcast coming over the next two weeks. If you want to hear more of our episodes, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love if you leave us a review, share this podcast with someone you know, you can follow us on social media. If there's anything you want us to discuss or have us answer, you can submit your questions at a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org. Thanks again for listening. Join us next week for another episode. This show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.